Welcome to the Upper Room Community Church Podcast. Wherever you are in your journey, we hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit us at upperroom.ca. Scripture reading today is from uh, John's Gospel and also from the prophet Isaiah. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The light that gives life to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. And the people walking in darkness have seen a great light on, the living, on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. This is the word of the Lord. I want you to think about for a moment the, um, the place where you live, uh, maybe the room uh, that's your room or uh, the apartment you're in or the house you're in. Um, and chances are in that place, there's things uh, that you have no trouble finding in the dark. You know what it is in, my, in our room? It's the corner of our bed. It's, we bought this bed. It looks so nice. It has these like big, chunky silver poles that go across the bottom, but Jen likes to put the covers over them. I don't know why she doesn't want to see them. And it's just at the right angle coming out of the bathroom. Like, I have cranked that thing. The other thing is Lego. And I heard one dad say, my kids must be sharpening these in the basement and leaving them everywhere. And you're going down in the middle of the night. Honestly, um, I would not be proud for you to hear the things that come out of my mouth when I find those things in the dark. Now, the solution, of course, is simple. Just turn the light on. But what happens when you're in darkness and it's not so simple? Seasons of life where it feels cloudy. A darkness that maybe you just feel like, I can't see, I'm confused. Sometimes that feels like darkness, not so easy to get rid of it. Sometimes there's seasons where the situation or the relationship or the circumstances you're in are persisting so long that there's a despair that comes in your heart, and that's kind of darkness that's not easily pushed away. Sometimes there's a darkness that comes from feeling alone or isolated, maybe surrounded with people, but feeling alone, like no one really understands me or what I'm going through. That's a darkness you can't just turn the light on. We've all had them. Maybe some of you today, even as you come in here today, you're finding yourself in a season like this or you're walking with someone who's in a season like that. And the circumstances of our lives may be different, but the experience of something that we would say, yeah, maybe I never used that word or certainly, you know, one of the old uh, classic phrases, the dark night of the soul, those things kind of creeping and say, yeah, that, that's, that feels right. Now, if you're here and you're a person of faith, it actually can at times be more complicated. Because sometimes even our faith actually can lead us into dark places. Have you ever heard statements like this? 
maybe things that you believe that where your circumstances don't seem to line up with this anymore. God will bless you if you're obedient. God won't let it go too far. God always speaks. We just have to listen. The longer you journey with him, the closer you will feel to him. God will protect you from getting hurt. Or if you have enough faith, he'll come through for you. If you've been in the church for any length of time, you've heard one or many of those things, and yet when your circumstances don't fit your paradigms of faith, things start to come apart. And there's a darkness even in our faith where we say, God, well, I thought this was true. Now I'm wondering, is that really? Sometimes it gets even more complicated because people of faith, you know, our brothers or sisters in the family of God or our parents or whatever, will say stuff like that to us when we are in darkness. And you know it actually feels worse. It doesn't make you feel better. It makes you start to think, well, then what's wrong with me? Like, what's wrong with my prayers? Why aren't they heard? What's wrong with my faith? And, and, and let's be honest, sometimes we say those things to each other because we are getting tired of hearing about their darkness, right? We, it, it sucks you in. You're like, I don't want to know that. Like, you're challenging now my categories of God. I'm starting to wonder why God isn't coming through for you because I've been praying for you for a long time. And so lots of this in the community of faith becomes even more difficult to deal with. And sure, there are times when our faith in God actually helps us and we sense that, and there are other times when it's like it actually makes the whole thing more complicated, the darkness. And, and then, okay, now Christmas, right? The season of Mary and Bright and the blinking lights. Our tree has like seven different, you know, function things on it, and the kids like hit, and like Gideon's favorite one is the flashing multicolored one, and the rest of us are like, yeah, I like... Right? But sometimes that's what Christmas feels like. Oh, flashing multicolored lights. Like the season is merry and bright. It's the most wonderful time of the year. And sometimes it is. And lots of times it isn't. And if you happen to be in a season of darkness, you think, well, this is complicated. Now I got to see tons of people, some of whom are the cause of my darkness. Right? And I, I'm able to avoid them most of the year. Right? We all laugh because it's true. And that, I know, I just know for many of you that the family dynamic is at the very least, it's complicated. And, and it's gonna, now we have to, you know, deal with that dynamic and what that is going to mean for us. Or we, we think, oh my, the, what I'm feeling isn't, there's no home, there's no place for that at Christmas. People don't want to hear that, right? And maybe people are just trying to cheer us up, you know, because it's the season of multicolored lights and great New Year's parties and it's the end of one year and the beginning of a new one and all, all that. And so we think, well, I don't, there's no place for what I'm dealing with or going through in this season. And while that may be true for the season, it is not true about Christmas. Uh, we are in a season right now called Advent, and Advent means arrival, and it is really the anticipation of not just the arrival of Christ 2,000 years ago, but the arrival of Christ again now. And the one thing you should know, if we can be honest and say about this, your experience of darkness is not out of place at all at Christmas. In fact, so much of the Christmas story will tell you this, that if you happen to be in a season like that, or you're walking with people who are, it may in fact be the very thing that prepares you to meet God in like you've never met him before. Certainly that's what Christmas tells us.
One of the passages that we're working our way through these, these weeks of Advent is from the prophet Isaiah, 700 years before the birth of Christ that Pat, Pat read for you. And, and it's interesting, it's a prophecy about Jesus 700 years before he came. And he says this to, the prophecy comes to, look at what he says, people walking in darkness and people living in a land of deep darkness. This is the people, the condition of the world and the people and the individuals to whom the message of good news was being spoken. So right away we know, oh, Darkness isn't, isn't at odds with the Christmas story. There's, that was actually the condition of the world. And, and he uses two different phrases. He says, people living in a land of deep darkness. Now, for, for the people of Israel, God's people at that time, and God's plan was always to bless one family that would become one nation that would actually bless all nations. And so that it would eventually not be just about one person or one nation or one ethnicity or one people group or one part of the world, but that all nations, everybody would be blessed through this. So when, when Isaiah's talking to one nation, he's talking to that nation as if it's going to be for everyone. He says, to people living in the land of deep darkness. The darkness that Israel was facing at that time was so multifaceted. There was the external uh, issues of enemies who were attacking them at that time. Their capital city was under assault and there were nations coming in and they had actually had, a, after many years of peace, were now experiencing war and people were being um, taken as prisoners of war, killed and young men having to die in battle and all of this was going on and so there was darkness that way. And it would progressively lead to something that would exist for over 400 years or, or sorry, 600 years of, of being ruled from, by one nation or another. It would be Babylon and then um, the Persian Empire and then Alexander the Great and the Greek Empire and then the Roman Empire. And so 700 years later, when they were rereading this prophecy, it was even darker. And as I've said to you before, the Roman occupation of Palestine, of this part of the world, and actually any territory that was occupied by Rome meant that your life was dark and difficult. Taxation was probably over 90%. If you owned any land at one point in time, which is what made you wealthy, you didn't own it anymore. You were probably a slave working on the land you used to own, getting slaves' wages just to pay back debt, taxes you could never afford in the first place. Death, death and taxes was their reality. That was the oppression, under, and that was the darkness. But spiritually also, they're, they're, and, and ethnically and politically, their freedom taken away. They were living in a land of deep darkness. But then he says for the people walking in darkness, which actually implies more of uh, what was going on in them. Darkness was a word that God used to describe to his people the stuff that they were dealing with on the inside. And we know that this, the Bible's description of sin is not this sort of sim oversimplified doing bad things, but actually describing a state of brokenness, of fracture, not just out there, but with God and inside, that psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, and physically, they were people experiencing darkness. And so 2,000 years later, or 2,700 years later after that prophecy, while the circumstances may be different, you and I can relate. We are living in a land of deep darkness. It feels as if there's more bad news or just that's just what news is. Out there in the land that we live in, so much chaos, so much turmoil, so much fear. And the darkness, you know, in, in the generations now that exist that are what they call the millennial generation or really Gen Z, 
which they say like roughly, I think around everybody's different depending on the study you read, but 19, 20 and under. I would say it is probably the most honest generation we've had in a long time. Listen to the music, it's honest. The movies, even about superheroes, are not about people who are impervious to any kind of feeling. The superheroes of today's movies are also struggling and flawed and have darkness within them that tears them apart. All of the stories are far more real, far more honest, and yet there is so much despair. Suicide rates are at epidemic levels, or at least depression is, and suicide rates are double and triple what they've ever been before. There is an honesty about the darkness, and yet with that, a despair that comes. And so while 2,000 years later, our circumstances are different, the experience of living in a land of deep darkness is the same. And then, of course, there's the darkness within us. Like many of us can attest to the fact that some of the chaos and conflict and darkness we're dealing with is a result of our own choices. Perhaps some of the darkness you're battling is just saying, I can't, how do I, I like, I'm the problem. I'm my own worst enemy. I don't know how to get myself out of these things that I keep getting myself into. Maybe some of the conflicts in your family you're going back to are because of words that you've spoken or things that you left undone. And so we are people not only living in a land of deep darkness, we are walking in it ourselves. We understand this. And Isaiah says, to those people, a light is dawning. The word dawn is so interesting, right? It's something you're waiting for. It's, it's coming. It hasn't come yet, but it's coming. He says, to these people, this is the message to the people living in a place of darkness, walking in a way of darkness, a light. And he says, a great light is dawning. And about 780, 80 years after that, one of Jesus' followers in writing his Christmas story, unlike the other three that had shepherds and mangers and angels and all that stuff, the Apostle John tells a totally different account of the Christmas story. It's one we don't actually often read from at Christmas because it doesn't have any of the Christmas story in it. Here's what he says. In the beginning of time, in other words, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, we know, spoiler alert, Jesus, was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Listen, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Some of your translations say the darkness have, has not understood it. In other words, it can't figure it out. It can't solve it. It can't put it out. It can't put it away. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. So interesting, right? That John's description of the entry of God into the world is a description of light coming into darkness. It tells me that the darkness we're experiencing is not an obstacle to God being present in it. 
It's not as if the darkness has to all go away and the conditions have to be perfect and then somehow we'll meet with God. That is what religion tells us. Everything has to be right, just so perfect, clean lines, clean heart, nothing wrong with you, and then God will meet with you. It's why people say to me, can anyone come to church? Do you have to pay money to go to your church? Do you have to wear certain, like, what do you wear? It's, there's this belief, oh, it all has to be clean and perfect and nice. It's like, oh, I can never go, there. oh, God couldn't love me. I've heard things like that so many times. And as much as we think, no, that's not true, there's stuff within each of us that thinks that when we are going through darkness, that somehow God can't come close to this. And John says, Jesus is the light of the world. Darkness was actually the pre-existing condition into which light came. Light in the darkness is hope. Hope. It is the thing you need most when you are living in a land of deep darkness, when you are walking in darkness. In fact, later on in Isaiah, he says, in him, that is Jesus, the nations will put their hope, this light of the world. Light in darkness is hope. Now you may say, well, what is hope? You know, other than sort of a feeling, it's the, the, the biblical understanding of hope is a confidence and expectation about the future. It is a confidence, an assurance. Something around hope says there's a confidence and assurance about the future and therefore there is an expectation as in you want it to come. There's a longing for a future that you are confident in. Like implied in hope is this, it is a good future and I am sure of it and I am therefore longing for it, which means the opposite of hope is fear. Fear. Right? Fear is a look into the future and a, and a belief that, oh no, this that I'm in is gonna get worse or it's never going away, right? Fear and hope are both future looking. They both stare into the future and based on what they see, there is an experience in the present time. Hope looks into the future and sees light coming, is confident about it and therefore is longing for it to come. Fear looks into the future and sees more darkness, deeper darkness, and is therefore now afraid. And along with that fear, despair, hopelessness. This is uh, actually, psychologists will tell you, this is one of the things that makes us unique as creatures. Human beings have this incredible potential to imagine realities that do not yet exist. And, and we are constantly doing it. it it's what makes the, the musician, the songwriter, so amazing that they can somehow see uh, and hear melodies in their head that don't exist. They're somehow future-oriented. An artist looks at a canvas or a, a, a piece of material that is yet unshaped, unformed, and sees something in it. They can imagine a future. An architect does that. All kinds of people who create, it comes from this ability to see or imagine a future. Entrepreneurs, right? They see something that doesn't exist yet, and they're able to bring it into... Now, that's great when it comes to creativity and entrepreneurship and art. It's terrible when it comes to darkness. Now, 
I have, uh, as some of you have done the Strengths Finder study many years ago, or you've done it recently, one of mine is positivity. And after we took it, my wife's like, oh, I, I see, I know, I understand you. Because she's like, she'll say to me, how can you think that everything is just going to work out? Just because it has for you. <laughs> or she'll say, you can't just think that everything's going to be fine. I said, so one day we were, we were laughing about it. I said, so what do you do? She's like, well, I, if I'm in a, a bad situation, I imagine the worst case scenario. I'm like, wow. Why? Why would you do that? Well, if I can imagine a worst-case scenario and see a way out of that scenario, then I know I'm okay. I'm like, what if you can't? She's like, yeah, that's bad. <laughs> I think this is when we were camping and there was a noise outside the tent, and I was, I was she's like, is that a bear? I'm like, no, nah, it's probably not. And she's like, well, what if it is? I'm like, why are we talking about this? She's like, well, if we just can imagine, what are we gonna do? I'm like, that's just, I'm thinking, I don't. Go, that's a pit I'm not going into. I mean, that's just. You know, and this is what I've realized is like my positivity like doesn't work in darkness. Like, like some of you that are like that, you know, like it gets used up pretty fast. It's about this deep. It only goes for a few days or a few weeks. But when seasons persist or things are deeper, it doesn't work anymore. And this is what's so interesting about us is we look into the future and we are projecting. We think, where is this going to go? There's, there's only, and we cannot help but do this, so there's no third option. It's either hope or fear. We, we're a culture that deals in fear all the time. I mean, this is what, this is so much of what is sold to you that you buy for your home is based on fear. Even if it's just insurance, we are afraid. What if, unlike, the, oh, how we, we project into the future, and that's how it works. Which is interesting because one of the common uh, phrases repeated in the Christmas narrative is what? Fear not. Fear not. And it wasn't just because there was a blazing angel on fire and some. It was like, they, I came to tell you not to be afraid. It's actually the beginning of their every message. Fear not. Fear not. And yet if we have this sort of thing in us that cannot help but look to the future... How do we actually have hope? Like, what is hope? You see, fear is this thing that comes from looking in the past, what's happened to me, what I've gone through, what others have experienced, looking at the present and how things are, and I think, well, based on the past and based on the present, I've got fear for the future. I know what's happening. I can see this. I've been through this before. I know what happens, or I can tell based on that. This And that's some of us could say legitimately, Vijay, look at my life. What would I really other, uh, what else could I conclude at this point in my life except to assume things aren't going to get better? It looks at the past and how we're dealing with the present and then says, okay, well, that's what the future. But hope is entirely different. Hope looks at the past and the future and therefore makes a conclusion about the present. And it is based in two things. The first one is the incarnation the arrival of God into the world. See, our hope is based in incarnation, God becoming human, arriving in the present. This is why this season is so important to you. This isn't about remembering the baby Jesus. That's not, that's, that's not what this is. This is saying something happened and arrived into a land of deep darkness, into a, to a people walking in darkness, the light of the world came. 
there is a, a confidence that we have, right? If hope is confidence, we know God is not repelled by darkness. We know that even though he seems slow in coming, he comes. This is something my dad said many years ago. God does, Christmas tells us God does not work quickly, but he works suddenly, suddenly, suddenly. That word is repeated over and over and over through the Christmas narratives. He appears, he appears. There is a confidence in us that says darkness does not repel God. And he, even though it seemed like a long time, he kept his promise. Christmas was a, a promise kept. He came into and placed himself under the weight of darkness. And then everywhere he went, light was spreading. It's why people gathered to him all the time. And we see that when Jesus came into this world this first time, the incarnation, God becoming human, he went and addressed every level of darkness that was around. He dealt with the darkness of physical pain and suffering. People came to him who had been suffering for decades with things and received healing. He dealt with the darkness inside them. Um, many of the sick people, what they were dealing with was not just their disease, but their, the, the fact that they were pariahs, they were social outcasts, they were considered spiritually messed up because it was a culture where if you were sick, it's probably because you had done something. It was karma. You had done something bad, that's why you were sick. And there was, no, um, there was no health insurance, there was no way to have other jobs, especially when most of it was manual labor, so the only thing your family could do was to get you to go out in the street and beg, and somehow the, the impoverished nature of your condition would cause people to give you money. And so in fact, the worse you looked, the more they put you out. And so when you were sick or crippled or lame or a leper, you weren't just sick. You were socially cut off. You were spiritually unclean. You had no access to God, no access to people. Even your own family kind of hated you because now you couldn't look after the family. And so for Jesus to heal sickness was not just dealing with physical pain. He was dealing with the darkness of psychological trauma and loneliness and isolation. But then also he would go to people who came forward to be healed and he would say, your sins are forgiven. Because he knew there was a darkness inside them. The darkness of pride, of a judgmental attitude, of brokenness from the decisions we have made that have used us up from the inside out. Jesus was dealing with darkness at every level. Friends, this is where our confidence is in, is not only that God does come, but that he begins to actually deal with every level of darkness in our lives. None of it is outside of his view, and none of it makes him go, oh, that's too messy for me. Our confidence that light will come is because it did come. But the second thing it's anchored in is the resurrection. That's why we sang today already about it. Christ is risen. We would be fools to celebrate Christmas without remembering the resurrection. He is alive still. The other grand miracle, not just that God became a human, but that when he had been killed, when all of the weight of the sin of the world had crushed him to the point of death, right, John says, the darkness cannot overcome. Even though it looked like darkness had completely overcome him, that even the one who brought so much light to them, but it was just three years and it was good while it lasted, and then he was gone. That's exactly what his disciples thought. The light of the world burst forth after the third day. And John later says, and the darkness could not overcome it. 
This is the other thing because it means he's going to come again. He is alive. And that's what he said to his disciples. I will return. I will come again. And so now we live between his first coming and his second coming. It is the past that we look into that tells us he, he came and he rose from the dead. And the future, we say, we know his word is true. He is coming again. Therefore, when I look into the past and I look into the future, despite the darkness I have today, I can have hope. I know he will return. Some of you are here and you'd say, like, well, I, that resurrection of Jesus, that thing, I don't know about that. That really happened. I often say to my atheist friends who will, you know, say, well, science, you know, science, like no, one's, no one's science, no one's ever raised anyone from the dead. Science is the wrong discipline to apply to this question. It's history, right? Science studies things that can be repeated in a lab. History just studies things that happen even if they only happened once. And if you're honestly kind of seeking and trying to figure it out, I challenge you to find any way to explain how the Christian faith even exists today were it not for the resurrection. Because his disciples had believed the darkness had overcome the light. He was gone. And they were gone. And yet a few days later, in the weeks and months to follow, they were willing to die. Refusing to let go of what? Hope. Not hopefulness. Not the power, we live in a culture of power of positive thinking. And I, okay, there's a lot of science around how your brain works and what you believe in confidence and all those kinds of things. But friends, power of positive thinking, like why don't we just go tell everybody who's starving in other parts of the world, you just think more positively, you'll live. That's not, uh, power of positive thinking does nothing. And in fact, the reason we have such despair in our culture is because we bought into the power of positive thinking. And after a while, the thinking isn't doing anything and then we have nothing left. Hope is not hopefulness. It's not wishful thinking. It is confidence in things that because they already happened, I know they will happen again. It is a confidence in the arrival of Jesus first, his resurrection and therefore his guarantee that he is coming again, that therefore not only can I have confidence in those things, I have longing and expectation. I am looking forward to the future and my life is less and less marked by fear and more and more marked by hope because I have a confidence in what is coming. And so in this season, there's two ways really to respond <laughs> to the light of the world that has come in. And the first one is for you is to invite the light. Like some of you need to realize, wait, like this is actually, I need to let him come in. Later on in John's gospel, he says, um, people didn't love the light, they actually liked darkness. And that just doesn't mean, oh, people were evil and they didn't want, it. and that's true. There's some of that, but there's also this thing in us that actually is afraid of the light. We're afraid of God coming close to us. That's why the angels were saying, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. Many of you maybe have not come to church for a long time because you're, you're just afraid of what God will say and what God will do. And this is why Jesus came to show us what God would say, what God would do if he met people like us. And so for some of you this season, you actually need to invite the light. And so I just want to take a few minutes just as we close here 
to give you some time to reflect on what does it mean for the light to come in to my life a little bit more. And so here's a few questions for you just as you're thinking. In what ways have I been avoiding Jesus bringing light into my life? Maybe avoidance has marked your life with God for a long time. Just think about that for a moment. What secrets am I keeping in fear of the light? Secrets allow darkness to continue. Things you say, oh, no one needs to know this. Or I'm too ashamed of this, I couldn't tell anyone that. Am I trying to fight the darkness on my own? Is that the secret you're keeping? You don't want to tell anyone what you're going through. Am I avoiding the discomfort of walking with others who are in darkness? Like an avoidance isn't just behavior, it's something we feel on the inside. Am I afraid of moving closer to that person or I just don't want to know? For any of those things up there, what does it mean for you to invite the light? Say, Jesus, come. Come close. Come into this place. For others of you, this season may be a season to wait for dawn. And dawn is such a powerful word. Because there's a confidence and an expectation that dawn will come, right? It always does. That's why Isaiah says a light is dawning. As dark and as deep as the watches of the night may be, 12, 1, 2, 3, you know dawn is coming. And so for some of you, how can I remind myself more often of the hope I have in Jesus? This confidence. Those words are so important. The hope I have in Jesus. Friends, the confident expectation about the future is not that everything will get better for you. That's not where hope comes from. It may get worse than it is today. The darkness may persist. The hope is in him. He will return. There will be a light that will eventually completely overpower the darkness I'm in. How do I remind myself of that? 
I did it this week. I just tattooed it on my arm, just so you know. I thought I'd tell you now. Spring's coming. I might as well just tell you. <laughs> it's, it's real. It's not marker, okay? It means resurrection, so you could do that if you want. But, or you could just have verse of the day come up on your iPhone or whatever. I just knew for me, I was like, I, this is what I've thought for years. What should I put on my body? This word? It is not about your circumstances getting better. It is a hope. It is a confidence. It is a sure expectation that Jesus will return. So how do I need to remind myself? Secondly, who else can I ask to wait for dawn with me? This is not about doing it alone. And lastly, where have I seen light breaking through? Where have I seen it? Maybe not in this situation, but I've, I've seen it in other places. I'm seeing it in other people. This is one of the reasons we actually invite other people into the darkness we're in because they need to remind us of how God has broken through for them. They need to remind us of light breaking through. The band's going to come and lead us in a song of response. I know these are hard questions for you to ask. Some of you in here, you know, you're resisting even going there in your mind because it's dark. Why would you do it? Here's what I realized as I read, reread some of the Christmas story this week. It was the ones who were looking for light that saw it. It was the ones who were looking that saw it. It wasn't in ways or places they expected, but there's this contrasting response all the way through of some being shocked and, not, and missing it altogether and others who were looking for it. Lord Jesus, we pray that you make us people who are willing to wait until we see you. Lord, help us to be people who wait, not having given up in our hearts, but wait with a patience that says, I haven't seen it yet, but dawn is coming. I know it, it always comes. God, even as we sing this song, let it be true of us that we will wait for your light to come. And even now, even in these moments, we pray that we would have experienced the first cracks of dawn. Knowing that you came once, it seemed like a long time, but you came. And ever since that day, light has been breaking through darkness. But you will come again. 
And so we look back and we look forward and in light of that, we have hope today. In your name, Jesus, drive out fear from our lives. And let us be people that carry within us, even in dark places and in dark times, hope, the light of the world. In your name we pray, amen. Before I give you a benediction, I was thinking about the difference between a light that comes from the dawn versus like a, a, a floodlight or a searchlight. Um, like a few weeks ago, Jen and I woke up in the middle of the night and there was this loud sound and there was a drone outside in our neighborhood with this light looking for something and a chopper above. And it was kind of freaky and I was thinking, man, if you're on the ground or you're like, that's a, that's a light you want to hide from. Dawn is a totally different kind of light. But it's slow. And so here's what I want to bless you with. We just saying, eyes be open. I want your eyes to be open to see the slow but sure breaking dawn of light of God's presence coming into your life. And I just pray that you will experience that in this season, that you will not have to wait any longer to see the first cracks of light. Would you receive that?